This is a podcast from ABC Radio Overnights. I'm Rod Quinn. Last week on the quiz on the Overnights program, we had a contestant who spoke with a French accent, but it turned out she wasn't French. She was Australian. Ten years ago, Marion had suffered a stroke and woke up with a foreign accent and told us that although uh, we might hear of it from time to time, foreign accent syndrome, as it's known, is actually very rare. So to find out more about FAS, or Foreign Accent Syndrome, our guest is Professor Kiri Ballard, Professor of Communication Sciences and Disorders at the Sydney School of Health Sciences at Sydney University. Professor, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, Nice to be here. Thank you. What do we know about this curious medical condition? Yes, well, it is very curious. And uh, as you pointed out there, it is quite rare. Um, There are a couple of different uh, types of foreign accent syndrome. Some are sometimes it's due to a clear neurological event where someone has had a stroke or uh, some kind of brain injury and then they develop these symptoms. Uh, In other cases, there's no clear neurological event that has happened, and so it's um, that those ones are a lot more puzzling. So what, somebody might just wake up one morning without that Mm. clear neurological event, might just wake up one morning and be speaking with a foreign accent? Yeah, yeah, it, um, it's, it's very rare. And, you know, sometimes there are events in, in the recent history that a person might sort of think maybe that was what caused it. But when you look at those events, those types of things typically don't cause um, changes in your speech production. And sometimes the delay between the event and the appearance of the symptoms doesn't make much sense either. And so then, you know, there is thought to be possibly a component of what we call um, functional neurological disorder, which is something is, is happening, but there's, um, there's not a clear medical explanation for it. Yeah. So the majority of the cases, I think, have a, have a medical, uh, yeah. a, a sensible medical cause. Mm. Marion mentioned that maybe about 100 people have been diagnosed with this syndrome. Is that right? Do we know an exact number of people who might have this condition? No, I don't think we know an exact number. I think it, it's it's small. If you look through the literature, there's only a handful of cases. I think in the past 20 years, you probably find, you know, um, far fewer than, you know, 10 to 15 cases that have been, that have been written up as, as case studies. Um, and, you know, if you, if you specialise in this in a, in a neurological clinic at a hospital, you know, you might encounter just a couple in your career. I've only encountered two. In a, in a 30-year career. Mm. What happened without obviously breaching the confidence of those patients, if you can speak generally about them, how did they present to you and, and what did you do what, and what were their accents? Yeah, uh, well, the first one I encountered uh, many years ago now was a person who had actually had a stroke and they had, uh, when they had, uh, you know, in the hospital um, immediately after the stroke, um, recovery from the stroke they were speaking with uh, not an Australian accent but with a sort of a German or Dutch accent and so that one there was a clear a clear um, medical reason for it 
And I, I didn't get to follow her up, so I don't know um, what happened to her. But typically in those situations, there is some resolution, as is it's common after a stroke. You know, there's a period of, uh, of what we call spontaneous recovery where some of the swelling goes down and, and you know, the brain sort of uh, is able to rebuild a little bit and so you get some uh, amelioration of the symptoms. Uh, in the second case, it wasn't as clear at all. There had been some surgery uh, about 10 days prior, but no adverse events, nothing that would indicate uh, any kind of um, pathology in the brain, uh, a young person. And they had woken up one morning speaking in, with an what seemed to be an Irish accent. And uh, that case may be known to some people because she posted samples of her speech on TikTok and got quite a lot of attention um, as, you know, asking sort of people if they'd heard of it and could, could anyone suggest how to help her. So she, um, she and I, I completed a, a full evaluation um, in that case and, you know, it was, it was not clear, you know, it was very difficult to sort of determine um, what might have caused that. But there's a part of our brain, I presume, that is linked to language and accent. I don't know whether language and accent are the same, but you have people who go overseas, they spend time with another culture and they will come back, often from America, uh, with an American accent, people like Greg Norman, yeah. for example. And, you know, they pick it up, maybe they pick it up so that people over there can understand them, or actors do it as well. Is that what is happening inside our brain? That's kind of a deliberate choice, sometimes not a deliberate choice. Sometimes you just pick up that, that accent because you are moving in those circles. Is that part of what's happening in our brain? Uh, well, I think there is. Uh, it, it's the same brain circuitry that allows us to do it, uh, as, um, as you mentioned, sort of accommodating to the local accent and whatever, uh, as it is that it gets damaged and then generates those symptoms. So, you're absolutely right. We're, we're extremely adaptable. If we go, um, you know, my mother is British, is English, you know, and she's lived in Australia for 50 years. She has, for, for us, she sounds like she has an English accent. If she goes back to England, suddenly she drops into a thick English accent. So she can <laughs> she back and forward, you know. Um, and so we do that all the time. Our, our brains are remarkably good at doing that. And some of us are better than others. For example, you know, we have um, actors who are remarkably good at switching their accents and, and being able to hear that and then change their speech. Um, so that that is different to language. Language, you know, is more about, you know, we use different words in different, um, we have different vocabulary for the same items, you know, in different uh dialects uh, but accent is really about how the speech sounds sound so you know if you say um, um, fast instead of fast mm -hmm. those sorts of things and they're all about how we actually move our articulators our tongue our um, how we control our voice our lips and how we change the the length of different sounding words and uh, our tongue shape to create an ah versus an ah, which has a very different tongue shape. So that's all about articulation. And uh, that's, what that's what changes in foreign accent syndrome. And it, it is, you know, the, brain, the parts of the brain that are allowing us to do that, accommodate accent, are what are tending to get um, damaged when you have a foreign accent syndrome. 
most people who had say, I've never been there before, you know, like I've never been to Scotland or whatever. And, um, you know, so it's not that they're pulling out some memory, um, although we've we've all, of course, been exposed to different accents. But, um, yeah, so it's not not that. Okay, because Mm. Marion said, because Marion now speaks with a French accent, she noted that her grandmother's ancestors were originally from France. So you're saying that that has nothing to do with it or maybe we just don't know enough about it? No, that wouldn't have anything to do with it. Um, you know, we, we essentially learn the language and the accent that's around us. And so, you know, I, I imagine we could all go back in history and say that some of our ancestors spoke different languages and we haven't got a clue because we were never exposed to that growing up. Um, you know, you learn the language that is around you when you are learning to speak. <laughs> What are the most common accents? Is it French, Irish, English? Does anyone ever wake up with an Australian accent? Someone from overseas wake up with an Australian accent or maybe somebody here might have a stroke or a uh, neurological disorder and wake up with a much broader accent perhaps? That's a very interesting question. I have not heard of anybody waking up with an Australian accent. So that's an interesting question, Uh, which uh, you know, German is quite common. I've heard of South African, various, you know, British accents, French, as you mentioned, Dutch. What I would like to actually point out is if you wake up and, and you suddenly are speaking with a German accent, if you ask a native German speaker to listen to that, they will say it's not really a German accent. It has aspects that sound Germanic, but it's not a true German accent. It's not like you suddenly flip over to sounding like a German speaker speaking English. Mm. So it's more that it sounds, there are aspects that sound similar. You know, no one's really done very thorough analyses and there are all sorts of analyses of the acoustic signal of speech that you can make that will allow you to uh, understand how people are shifting the movements of their tongue to generate these different sounds. I actually did that um, with a patient and um, what I found was they sort of had shifted their tongue movements to be quite um, different. It was sort of similar but different, different enough so that they'd shifted into the space that you would expect for Irish but not consistently. You know, the, the, the tongue movements had become a bit more variable and so they weren't being consistently distinguished from Australian vowels. They were sometimes sounding Irish, but sometimes not. And so when you actually go in and analyse it, it's, it's not a, a true accent of that right. language. But people can learn an accent. It could be, you know, Meryl Streep for a part in a movie, or perhaps uh, if they are trying to dilute their accent, if they have a very thick accent, they may, if they're especially going to another country. Is it possible that these people who have experienced foreign accent syndrome, that they can change their accent back to the previous accent, the Australian accent? Yes, that's, that is possible. So you're absolutely right. It is a, a whole field of um, professional practice in speech pathology to do accent, what we call accent modification. And so it, particularly in business, there are centres downtown where you can go and uh, work on having your accent modified or modifying your accent so that you can be more intelligible because it is actually quite disruptive in some professions to speak with a strong foreign accent and not be very easy to understand, particularly in the teaching profession. 
where people are trying to get their head around com- complex concepts and then they're having trouble just decoding what the teacher is saying. Um, so it's very common, very common. There are institutes everywhere to do that. And so, yes, we can change accent all the time. As I said earlier, some people are better at it than others, just like some people are really good at tennis and others aren't, you know. <laughs> What we know about speech disorders is that, or what we know about everything is that, you know, if you practice hard enough, you can always change. You may, if you have a true neurological disorder, you can change, you can improve, but you may not reach your back to your original uh, level of skill, but you might be able to diminish the accent a bit. And then for those who seem to shift into a foreign accent with no clear neurological reason sometimes you can flip them back within one session to sort of get them to recognize get their brain to sort of recognize that it's doing something that it doesn't need to do and you can kind of flip it back into its old pattern so there are two approaches one one can be quite quick another where there is a true neuropathology is like anything, you're going to probably have to do a lot of practice. So it's like over, uh, overcoming a stammer or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, as you know, to, you know, if you and I tried to suddenly learn French, it would take us, yeah. you know, it would be very difficult. We probably would need to do many, many hours of practice to... Mm. Professor Kiri... Professor Kiri Ballard is our guest. As we're talking about foreign accent syndrome... Besides the accents, do the people, do the cases have anything in common? Well, it's not so much the cause of the neurological disorder, it's more the area of the brain that gets damaged. So um, I think, as I mentioned, uh, you know, it's been seen in stroke, in um, other brain injuries, and also in multiple sclerosis. Not all, but in most cases, of course, speech production is is one of, is maybe our most complex Um, highly developed skills and it involves uh, multiple areas of the brain to actually make it work Uh, but this seems to be the parts of the brain that are helping us control movement to to plan out and program our muscles to do the right thing and to do it extremely rapidly Um, so it's the areas of the brain which tend to be um, tend to be on the left but um, sort of just sort of just above the front of your ear and uh, and going forward a little bit. So an area in there that seems to be most commonly affected, it's called uh, the, the motor cortex or the premotor cortex, which controls our ability to put our tongue and lips in the right place at the right time, but also to control what we call prosody. And prosody is sort of the melody and the, the intonation the changes in pitch and loudness that we control um, with our mouth to get um, the uh, the sort of the melody of, of, a, of an accent. So, you know, for example, some accents will have, you know, they will rise up at the end of a sentence in pitch and others will go down. You know, people have different uh, patterns of melody uh, across different accents. And that area of the brain tends to control that. So if we know what area of the brain this is, is it possible that at some time in the future, surgery on that part of the brain may be able to correct the situation? Many, many years people have been trying to work out how to uh, potentially uh, correct some of these things. There, there was a, 
had been a lot of work earlier on neuronal transplants, certainly um, brain stimulation, uh, where you can uh, put stimulate the brain from outside the skull with electrical pulses to try and develop um, stronger connections or re- renewed connections. Electroshock treatment. Uh, well, not shock, uh, not not the sort of not the dramatic shock, but just a, a low level um, electrical stimulus mm-hmm. that can a- help activate the the nerves to make them function a bit better. Um, so that's being used um, not for foreign accent syndrome, but for other types of speech disorders. Uh, so, yeah, I think we're still a long, long way off that. Um, right. You know, the brain is a very complex system and it's very hard to work out how to fix it once it's been broken yeah is it sometimes more extreme that people not only have an accent but in fact may speak an entire language that they did not speak before i haven't heard of that no i think it's typically they're speaking their their um their own native language but they're speaking it with a different accent so they just sound like they've come from somewhere else, but they haven't. <laughs> Having this accent doesn't make it easier to learn that particular language? No, no, unfortunately not. <laughs> um, so it's really, it really is just about how the speech sounds are formed. It's not about knowing the vocabulary or how to construct sentences that vary across languages. So it's, it's not the language that they have picked up. It's, it's purely the, the um, production of the speech sounds. What steps are taken once someone is diagnosed with foreign accent syndrome to treat it or indeed cure it? Is it speech pathology? I mean, one of the things about Marion's case was that she's kind of learned to live with it. I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world having a French accent. It can be strange, of course, to you because you've known your voice your entire life and your friends, of course, know your voice as well. And suddenly they're dealing with and you're dealing with a totally different accent, but it's not the worst thing. It's not like, uh, you know, other types of brain injury or, or other effects of, of having a stroke where you might lose, you know, movement in, in half of your body or your speech may be slurred. That's a different thing. This mm. is one of the most benign problems, isn't it? Well, yeah. Uh, you know, well, it's not benign if it's because of multiple sclerosis, but no. <laughs> but in terms of the impact of the speech condition, that's right. Um, you know, obviously, if you have a condition that is progressive, you know, it, it will probably get worse. Um, but if you uh, have a, a static condition, like you have a stroke, and then you, you know, the, the impairment is there, and it's stable, or you have, there is no clear reason why you're doing it, then, um, then, you, you know, you can certainly intervene. But you're right, it, you know, it, it's, it's interesting, because our speech is our identity right? It's very tied up in our identity. And so people often say, wow, is, you know, when, when it first happens, they can, well, of course, they can be shocked and horrified, but some, some people will be like, oh, isn't this interesting? Well, it's kind of cool and fun and, and sort of odd. And it's sort of a bit of a novelty, but, you know, it, it can very quickly wear off because yes. it's not you. You've grown up your whole life with this voice and to change the voice uh, kind of, you know, it's sort of your identity changes. And so um, people are usually quite keen to change it. Unfortunately, it would typically be a speech pathologist who, you know, would do that kind of work. And we're very difficult to to get in to see. We, you know, we're not a particularly 
well-staffed profession and a lot of us focus very much on uh, trying to deal with uh, the many, many children who are needing speech therapy. So, you know, it's quite difficult for people to find their way to a speech pathologist when they have this condition, but that would be the logical place to go. So typically, if it's a clear neurological condition and you know that those areas of the brain have been damaged, then we implement a very rigorous and intensive uh, motor learning regime where we help people understand how they're now moving differently and how they need to change that movement to get it closer to sound like Australian. So we can, we can help people understand what they're doing differently and how they can try to change it. It's really just like any other motor skill. It's doing lots and lots and lots of practice. But for someone who doesn't have a clear neurological impairment and it seems to be a sort of a sudden onset and you can't see why it, it, it's happening. So there are some strategies that we can try to sort of quickly flip them back to their Australian accent. So one example is uh, seeing if they can imitate other accents. So you say, okay, you know, you're Australian. You are speaking with um, a French accent. Now, I'm going to play you an American accent. See if you can imitate that one. Um, and so if they can quickly pick up some of the characteristics of that other accent, then you know that they're flexible, that they are able to control their movement system to do something different. So if they can imitate an American accent, then they should be able to imitate an Australian accent mm. <laughs> and come back. The other thing is to look at, uh, you know, how well they can control their pitch and their uh, their melody and intonation for things like singing and if they can do that really well then there's nothing wrong with their motor system so they should be able to change so then it's really uh working with them to try and flip them back quickly but sometimes if there is some uh underlying reason that we don't know for why this is happening that is not clearly uh, medical, then sometimes there can be a bit of resistance to that, to getting that flip back. And they're at risk for, for sort of going backwards and forwards a bit. I know that we don't know too much about this, but why doesn't it happen more often? If it does happen, why doesn't it happen more often? If there is a capacity, presumably in everybody's brain, for this to occur, if it gets mm -hmm. the right trigger, why don't we see more of it? Well, actually, the point you made before is we see it an awful lot um, in that in that we, you know, we see people being able to switch accents all the time. I mean, we can all do it. But uh, it's, it's not clear why some people who have a stroke show foreign accent syndrome and some don't. Uh, that is not at all clear. So I work, um, I've always worked with uh, people who have speech disorders after stroke. Very, very rare to see it. But... Um, there is another condition called apraxia of speech, which is problem with programming the, the muscles to do the right thing. And it's thought, it's been proposed that foreign accent syndrome is, is kind of a type of this apraxia of speech because it seems to be a very similar thing, but most people with apraxia of speech don't sound like they've got an accent, but they do sound very different. They sound very stilted, robotic, their speech is indistinct, imprecise, hard to understand. So they're doing all the same things, but it, do it doesn't sound like a foreign accent. We don't know why that is. don't know why that is. People's voices can change. It just stands out when it's a change of accent, but in other mm. aspects of their voice, when it changes after a stroke or some neurological condition, we don't think of it 
as the same thing. You would, but we wouldn't. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we see we see distinct similarities. We don't know why sometimes it makes you sound like you have a different accent and others not. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and I think it's largely because it is so rare that you know when these people pop up, you know, it's it's very difficult to do research when there's. You know, you only see two in a 20-year period, you know. So (laughs) would you like to see more of it? I mean, I know this could be terrible for the people who have to go through it, although it's not, you know, the worst thing in the world, but it can be very uh, upsetting and distracting, I'm sure. But you would like to see more cases so that we could study more of it. Well, that would be, yeah, and that would be fascinating. It would be fascinating to to gather up. I mean, there obviously are a few people hiding in Australia who have this. Um, It would be quite interesting. The thing is, you know, really what we need to do is get people into MRI scanners and into some of our specialist equipment. And so that usually means they have to come into a, you know, our clinic hmm. and uh, or our facilities. Is there so, anyone you know, in Australia? Is it mostly at uh, the uh, School of Health Sciences at Sydney University? I don't know anyone else in Australia who's currently looking at this. I'm, I'm as far as I'm aware, I'm the only one focused on this apraxia of speech condition. Hmm. Other people are sort of in 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 parallel areas looking at movement control for speaking. Right. We all know each other. We all work sure. together. Uh, and so, you know, it could be that we could we could establish a bit of a network across the country and pick up people in different states. But, you know, these things take money, you know. Yes. And when there are uh, so few cases, money is not yeah. spent on it. Professor Ballard, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for telling us about such a strange and unusual, mysterious condition. Oh, it's a fascinating one. But thank you very much for having me. Overnights with Rod Quinn on ABC Radio. Radio.